Al Jazeera podcast. The Gaza ceasefire deal includes the release of at least 100 Palestinians detained in Israeli jails, but every day Israel arrests dozens more. Why are so many Palestinians imprisoned in Israel? Is mass detention being used as a weapon of war and occupation? I'm Fully Batibo, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's now bring in our guests who are all joining us from Ramallah in the occupied West Bank. Mustafa Barghouti is the Secretary General of the Palestinian National Initiative. Boudour Hassan is a researcher on Israel and Palestine at Amnesty International. She also writes and blogs on politics, feminism and disability. And Ayed Abu Ektaish is the Accountability Program Director at Defense for Children International Palestine. He focuses on child detention issues, including ill treatment and torture. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us on Inside Story. Mr. Bargoti, if I can start with you. Uh, there's equivalence being made in the minds of people who are not familiar with the situation uh, between the Hamas captives and Israel, uh, Palestinian women and children who are being held in Israeli jails. Can you explain to us first why the release of prisoners is a key Palestinian demand in negotiations? Because uh, for so many years, uh, Palestinians are kept in Israeli jails without due trial process, without fair trial process. Uh, they are uh, held uh, without, uh, and as you've mentioned, uh, under administrative detention frequently, which can go as long as for 20 years without trial and without even charges. And uh, so many Palestinians have been uh, jailed for very long times. And even when they were released in previous exchange of prisoners' cases, they were rearrested again, like the case of Nael Barghouti, who, will, uh, who just finished 43 years in Israeli jails and just started the 44th year. Uh, there is no way for these people. Some of them are sentenced to uh, 5,000 years in jail. Uh, many are, are, are sentenced to life imprisonment several times. So there is no chance for any of them to be freed from Israeli prisons. And all of them are political prisoners, basically, mm. uh, without an exchange, uh, exchange of prisoners. This is, what has, this, is what, this is what has happened before with the case of Gilad Shalit. Yes. When one Israeli soldier had to be exchanged with almost 1,000 Palestinian prisoners. So that's why Palestinians believe that the only way to release the prisoners is to, to have some Israeli prisoners as well. But yeah. uh, on the other hand, there is one very important figure I want to mention to you. Since 1967, Israel has conducted more than one million cases of arrests against Palestinian population. You're talking about one million arrests in the case of a population that is no more than 5.5 million people. That is quite a significant number, a huge number. One million arrests since 1967, you say, Mr. Barghouti. You mentioned the case of uh, the Israeli uh, uh, prisoner, uh, Gilad Shalit, who was exchanged for uh, almost 1,000 Palestinian prisoners. But as you say yourself, Mr. Barghouti, is even as more Palestinian prisoners are released, 
every day we see dozens more arrested, as, in the, as is the case in the occupied West Bank. We've seen more than 90 arrests in the last 24 hours in the occupied West Bank. In Gaza, the director of uh, Al-Shifa Hospital and a number of medical personnel arrested there. So uh, my question is, obviously, it's a relief for the families of these prisoners who are being released. But if more Palestinians are being arrested, is, what, what is the point of such deals, of such uh, exchanges in the end? This deal, uh, the very first deal, which uh, should uh, be initiated very soon, is only a beginning. Uh, the goal is to achieve uh, uh, a temporary ceasefire, which hopefully will lead to a permanent ceasefire. But we all know that Israel is playing a game. Uh, the reality, and, and some of those who will be released were arrested only three weeks ago. So I know they play this game, but eventually Israel knows that uh, there are uh, hundreds of Israeli prisoners. I mean, at least maybe 200 or 150 of soldiers and Israeli army officers, high-ranking officers, who will not be released without full and complete release of all Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails. They know that very well. So even if they play this game of arresting and re-arresting now, they know that the ultimate deal will not happen unless all prisoners are released. And that's okay. exactly what Palestinians in Gaza are saying. Boudour Hassan, let me ask you why now, because you've been researching this extensively. And as uh, Mustafa Barghouti said there, there's been an upsurge, a rise in the number of arrests, a rise in, in the use of administrative detention, even before October the 7th in the occupied West Bank. Why have we seen this upsurge in the arrests of Palestinians? So, in general, Israel uses arbitrary detention, including administrative detention and other forms of arbitrary deprivation of liberty, as a means to maintain and enforce its system of apartheid against Palestinians, and as a means of fragmenting the Palestinian communities. And since the 7th of October, as you said before that, this year had already been seeing record numbers, a 20-year high in the use of administrative detention of Palestinian prisoners. But the number has skyrocketed since the 7th of October, both the number of people held under administrative detention. And this, is, this happens frequently whenever there is uh, military operations, uprisings, unrest. Israel uses uh, the arrests and arbitrary arrests as a way to control, to fragment, to break down the Palestinian community. And here lies one of the ways in which administrative detention is used to do, to do that. Mm. Because of the indefinite nature of administrative detention, that it can be extended every three, four, or six months indefinitely. And is there any the, aspect, Boudour, of... Sorry to interrupt you. Is there any aspect of administrative detention that is legal under international law? International law does not completely prohibit administrative detention, but it restricts it to being used as a last resort and as an exceptional uh, condition, not as a rule. But however, Israel uses it so frequently that it cannot be treated as an exceptional resort. It is part and parcel of Israel's punitive system against Palestinians. And Israel's use of this system is completely discriminatory. So of all those who are held under administrative detention right now, probably there are only three Israeli settlers. So 99.7% mm. of all those held under administrative detention are Palestinians. And the way it's 
it's being done also that only military courts can approve detentions, uh, the administrative detention, right. that Palestinians cannot object to their administrative detention or cannot, cannot challenge administrative detention properly. All this means that the way Israel uses administrative detention is in complete violation of international law. Okay. Ayed Abouek Taish, let me bring you into the conversation. The majority of Palestinians being held in Israeli jails right now are male teenagers. What are these children? Because they are children, what are they being held for? What are they accused of? Yeah, the majority of Palestinian children are accused of stone thrones, but uh, according to the Israeli military legal system, the punishment for throwing stones, it's up to 20 years imprisonment. So this is a very harsh uh, sentence. Uh, Palestinian children are incarcerated in prisons inside Israel, in addition to an offer prison in the West Bank, and placing Palestinian children in a prison Outside the occupied territories, it's a war crime under international humanitarian law. Most importantly, that uh, there is also practical aspects of placing Palestinian children in prison inside Israel. Uh, among uh, these aspects, uh, that uh, there is uh, the uh, it's difficult for their families to uh, visit them. So mm -hmm. during the first three months of their arrest. The families of uh, the Palestinian prisoners, they can't make uh, family visits because they have to secure special permit yeah. that enable them to visit their children inside the prison. Even, what conditions are uh, these no children in inside these prisons? What conditions uh, are they subjected to? What uh, treatment are they subjected to? Uh, almost all Palestinian children who are arrested, interrogated, and persecuted in front of the Israeli military legal system exposed to different types of ill-treatment and torture. Some of these types depend on physical methods of ill-treatment and torture, like uh, 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 slapping, uh, punching, uh, uh, enforcing them to sit uh, on stressful position, and most importantly, the psychological methods of ill-treatment and torture, hmm. uh, most importantly, placing them in a solitary confinement in a cell that measure one by two without having any interaction with any human being, and placing children in such situation left uh, a severe psychological right. uh, implication on them. And I understand, um, Ayed, that, uh, uh, that uh, many of these children actually end up confessing to, to the crimes they're being accused of, like throwing stones and taking a plea deal, because the maximum sentence they could get for, for the crime uh, is actually lower than the maximum sentence they could spend in, uh, in uh, pretrial detention. Uh, this is almost the case with uh, all children, because during the interrogation, they are not accompanied with a family member, and there is no audiovisual recording for the interrogation. So it's almost impossible for the defense lawyer to prove that this confession has been extracted by force. So even if the defense lawyer tries to raise this issue before the military court judge, Usually, the response of the judge that this is not the right place in order to examine the evidence. If you wish to examine the evidence, you should call for another court which is responsible for examining the evidence. And okay. almost it's impossible to prove that this evidence and confessions has been extracted by force. Okay.
Mr. Barghouti, let me bring you back into the conversation and raise uh, something that uh, uh, Boudour mentioned, and that is the treatment of Israelis in similar conditions. Of course, Israel portrays itself as a democracy, but what we see here is a two-tier justice system. And we've seen increased violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank by Israeli settlers. And we've seen this in Huara, for example, before even October the 7th. Is there any accountability in these cases? Are Israeli settlers being held to account? No, of course not. Even when they commit the worst kinds of crimes, uh, there are very rare occasions when they were caught uh, burning Palestinian children, for instance, where they would be put in jail. But in general, all the atrocities that are committed by settlers go without any accountability. And uh, what we have here is a system of apartheid. What is apartheid? Apartheid is two systems of laws for two people living in the same area. And that's exactly what we have. Israelis are judged by civil Israeli law. Palestinians are judged by Israeli military law. So we are subjected to a complete different legal system. And uh, the military rule and the military laws are so difficult to, to defeat because even in the cases when Palestinian prisoners have lawyers, they don't, they don't have access to, argue, to, 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 the, to the tools. They don't have access to knowing why the people they, they are defending are charged. Mm -hmm. uh, and frequently they find themselves having uh, are obliged to just accept deals because it would be less sentence. But there isn't really a due process here. More than that, I want to tell you something that might shock the audience, which is that Israel not only imprisons Palestinians who are alive, they are also imprisoning dead people, martyrs. 398 Palestinians who have already died in Israeli jails or uh, in, in, uh, because they were shot by Israeli army, are kept in jail. Those who die in Israeli prisons because of a sickness or because of torture have to stay in prison uh, in refrigerators to complete their sentence. Yeah. Which how could does be Israel justify years. that, Boudour? How does Israel justify keeping the bodies of, of Palestinian prisoners or people who've died under, under their watch? No justification. 142 of the Palestinians who were killed recently, and mostly young people, a lot of them are children, are kept in refrigerators, refusing to release them as a form of psychological torture against their families, but as a form of collective punishment against their families. Right. And the 256 are kept in what they call uh, numbered cemeteries where uh, there is a number for each one, and they are just there. Some of them have been there for more than 40 years. Right. So it's an awful kind of practice that, uh, of course, none of that would happen to an Israeli Jewish person. A shocking practice that you described there, Mr. Bargoti. Boudour, uh, uh, can you uh, add a bit more to that, the fact that there is no justification from the Israelis for, for keeping the bodies of prisoners who've died in Israeli, uh, of Palestinian prisoners who've died in Israeli jails? You know, the official Israeli justification for this is to use these dead bodies as bargaining chips. And, and, and one has to also mention that just like administrative detention is one of the legacies of British mandatory era, also the withholding of bodies is one of the shameful legacies of British 
mandatory era because Israel uses a British emergency regulation in order to impose this post-mortem punishment on Palestinians. So this is the official justification, bargaining chips. However, the use, the withholding of bodies precedes Hamas. It predates Hamas. Israel has been withholding Palestinian, Palestinian bodies since, well, since the mid-1960s and even before that, well before Hamas has been established, like several of the policies that Israeli forces are applying. Uh, Ayed, uh, would you like to add uh, to that, uh, th th this uh, shocking practice of holding on to, to Palestinian bodies in, in Israeli prisons? I mean, this is almost a form of torture for the families of these prisoners, isn't it? Uh, uh, sure. And also, I'd uh, uh, add that around now, around 20 Palestinian children, their bodies were confiscated and they are kept in um, uh, Israeli detention after their killing from the Israeli authorities. And this practice constitutes collective punishment against their families. So uh, there is no justifiable uh, reason for keeping the uh, deceased uh, people uh, uh, as a form of punishment uh, against their families. The families should. Uh, have the right to bury their dead uh, persons in uh, uh, a dignified uh, manner, but uh, all the Israeli practices aims to uh, uh, collectively punish Palestinian people who are living under their occupation. I, it, it seems that every Palestinian has either spent time in jail or knows someone who has spent time in jail. There is a sense of almost a generational trauma, isn't there? How is that affecting the, the Palestinian uh, psyche and Palestinian people, whether in the West Bank or Gaza? Uh, I think the issue of prisoners, it's very sensitive for uh, the Palestinian community, and that's why they are receiving in a very positive manner the, uh, the deal that the resistance group and uh, Gaza managed to uh, conclude with the Israeli authorities because almost every Palestinian home they experience uh, uh, the arrest of one family member at least, and they know uh, what does it mean to be deprived of your uh, rights, what does it mean to be incarcerated in Israeli prison, what does it mean to be exposed to ill treatment and torture. So. Uh, this could be one of the reasons uh, that the Palestinian community received the agreement between the Israeli authorities and Hamas that secured the uh, or will secure the release of 150 Palestinian children and uh, female prisoners. Okay, Mr. Barghouti, let's now widen this if we can. Uh, Israel says its objective right now in this war is to dismantle Hamas in the Gaza Strip. But when you see what's happening in the West Bank, these mass arrests, the incarceration of children, of women, what would you say the objective is ultimately? Well, the real objective of what Israel is doing is to break any form of resistance. It's not just Hamas, any form of resistance. You know, if if you struggle in using military forms, they call you a terrorist. If you struggle with nonviolent forms, they call you, they call you a violent. If you if you just speak against occupation, just with with with, with talking about the injustice, 
you would be accused of provocation. If you are an, an, an a foreigner supporting Palestinians, they will call you anti-Semite. And even if you are a Jewish person supporting Palestinian struggle, they will call you self-hating Jews. It's a very racist system, very dangerous one, uh, that is trying to block Palestinians' right for freedom. Mm. And the attacks that are happening now in Gaza are not against Hamas only. They are against all Palestinian people. Israel is conducting three war crimes at the same time. Mm. Ethnic cleansing, collective punishment, and genocide. And their goal was clearly, from the beginning, to evict and force everybody out of Gaza. Since they couldn't achieve that, they are trying now to ethnically cleanse the north and the center of Gaza. That's why they destroyed hospitals. That's why we, they destroyed everything. But let me tell you that uh, what, what they are doing is, as, as was mentioned by my colleagues, way before there was Hamas. I mean, 40 years, Hamas, 40 years ago, we didn't have Hamas. Right. 35 years ago, we didn't have What they are doing is an act against the right of the Palestinian people to be free. The reality is that 40 percent of all adult male Palestinians have been to Israeli jails. The reality is, and I want to tell you this, this story, it's very touching. I met a, a woman in Jenin camp, a mother. Her child, who was 15 years old, was shot to death by the Israeli army for nothing. And now they're keeping him in refrigerators, de depriving her from seeing the body of her child. She told me, all I want is a grave to visit, a grave to cry at. And they're depriving her of this little thing Right. Because they want to torture every Palestinian. The question here is not about Hamas. The question here is about Israel's effort to, 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 to prevent Palestinians from having a normal life, to prevent Palestinians from having freedom, and even to try to ethnically cleanse all Palestinians. Boudour, let me come to you now and ask you about the fact that in the past few days there's been discussions in Israel for using even the death penalty in the future for those who are deemed to be terrorists, in, in their words. What are the prospects of the Israeli government passing those laws, and how concerned does that make you when, when you see the situation on the ground today? Obviously, at Amnesty International, we oppose, we completely oppose the use of the death penalty by any state. Uh, but it's extremely, it's even more worrying to see that the Israeli government, this is not a new process, by the way, the legislation or draft legislation about using the death penalty and using words like terrorists, when we know what Israeli legislators are meaning as Palestinians, mm. has been in the discussion since the start of the year, especially under the new government. But it's even more worrying to see that the Israeli government is now using the war in Gaza in order to justify the introduction of the death penalty. It is extremely concerning, and it's clearly aimed at—it's it's yet another layer of discrimination. And we've been also talking, by the way, about detainees and detention for freedom of expression and arbitrary detention. It's important to also add that Palestinian citizens of Israel have been under—have been facing several forms of arbitrary detention since the 7th of October. 
hundreds of Palestinians have been detained for different amounts of time just for posting on Facebook Palestinian citizens of Israel. Many of them say that what they are living right now is similar to the military rule under which their grandparents lived between 1948 and 1966. And if this, and if this illustrates one thing, it illustrates how Israel's system of apartheid is not only imposed against Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, but also against Palestinian citizens of Israel. And yeah. now, with the talk about the introduction of the death penalty, this will be yet another uh, tool that Israel would add. So it's extremely concerning. Okay, Mr. Barghouti, I'll give you the last word. We've been talking about how mass detention and mass arrest are being used as a weapon of war and occupation today. What tools should the international community be using to prevent this from happening? The international community is not doing what it should do, which is to hold Israel accountable, to deprive Israel from the impunity it has, uh, to stop dealing with Israel as if it is above the international law. All we ask the international community is to apply international law, the same laws they speak about when it comes to other countries. If they do so, they will have to impose sanctions on Israel. They have to impose sanctions and boycott on this system that is violating every international law uh, through not only a system of apartheid, but also through a system of persecution and oppression of people in the most violent possible way. You asked about death sentence. Mm. Actually, even without passing the death sentence, they are already practicing it. They kill Palestinians left and right, old and young without accountability. Anybody could be killed at any moment just because a soldier decides to do so. And especially since the 7th of October, every Israeli soldier, every Israeli settler, and every Israeli policeman thinks that they have the green light to shoot and kill Palestinians or at least harass them. This is the kind of life we are subjected to. So we demand that the world community they apply the same rules that they are using in Ukraine, for instance. Right. Why in the case of Ukraine so much help for a country because they say it's fighting occupation, and in our case they are supporting the occupier? This episode was produced by Gloria Wangiales-Sals, Katia Lopez-Horoyan, Veronica Pedrosa and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Deepak Pushkaran. The program was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Canelli and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take the story of how weeks of negotiations led to the first agreement for a temporary ceasefire in Israel's war on Gaza. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.